Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, live from New Hampshire, Governor Chris Sununu is going all in on Nikki Haley weeks before his state's pivotal primary here. It's the endorsement every challenger to Donald Trump wanted. The big question now, can it help Haley overcome Trump's commanding lead, not just here in New Hampshire, but in every early voting state? I just finished speaking to both Haley and Sununu right here inside the governor's mansion behind me. That interview is coming up. But first, I want to get straight to CNN's Jeff Zeleny, who is also here in New Hampshire. Jeff, you are in Newport, where Haley and Sununu are going to be campaigning together this afternoon. What can we expect? Well, Danner, we are about an hour or so west of you, and what we're going to see here is the beginning of the roadshow, the Sununu Haley Roadshow, and he is going to try and uh, repeat what he did in four successful gubernatorial campaigns on her presidential campaign, through his organization, through his sheer popularity, and making the case that he believes she's the candidate to turn the page. We got a glimpse of that last night in New Hampshire. We've got the momentum on our side, but this just gave it a speed bump. So we are excited about going and going fast, and we're just grateful to have it in the north. What Nikki has been able to do is say, I'm not just going to tell you what not to vote for. I'm going to tell you what I bring to the table. I mean, that's what you want in a candidate. So there's no doubt that six weeks from... Uh, today, we will find out if this endorsement is successful. Uh, the governor says that this is a two-person race. Of course, that is getting far ahead of things, other candidates in the race. But, Dana, one thing is clear. She's not only getting his name brand, which is a, a golden name in uh, politics here in New Hampshire, as you well know. She's mm-hmm. getting his organization and his work ethic. So they're going to be campaigning around the state. At events like this here behind me, the crowd is just coming in now. They'll be continuing uh, on with her throughout the day. So, as you said, every one of her rivals would have liked to have the endorsement. She has it. Now the hard work begins for the six final weeks of this campaign. Dana? Well, we'll see that uh, coming up this afternoon where you are, Jeff. Thank you so much. Now to my interview with Nikki Haley and Chris Sununu. I started with a simple question to Governor Sununu. Why Haley? Obviously, we've been friends for a long time, and I've, I, more than probably anybody else in the country, have been able to spend a lot of time with all the, the, the three top candidates, you know, Chris, Ron, and Nikki. Um, when it comes down to it, Nikki connects, and that's what I was really looking for. It isn't about just the policies. Policy can be easy. It isn't just about background, although the background is unmatched when you, when you look at uh, Ambassador Haley. It's about who's really connecting with folks, listening. Uh, earning the trust, right? Spending the time. That's how we do it here in New Hampshire. And when I have have seen her time and time again, whether it's in a diner or in someone's living room or in someone's backyard, not just talking at people. A lot of people like to do that, but saying, now what's on your mind? What are your top priorities? What are your issues? 
And I get excited about the opportunity to have a president that carries that philosophy into the White House, not just big government solutions. We've seen a lot of even Republicans try big government solutions. I know it's not what this is all about. It has to be about going in with the mindset of what's the individual looking for? How do I empower them to create their opportunities? And I, I just it's working and people are galvanizing. The numbers are moving. It's exciting. Look, I am just thrilled. I truly am. And I knew that in order to earn his endorsement, we just needed to work. We just needed to work and show that we were willing to do it. And I mean, how amazing is it to get the live free or die governor, um, you know, in a time where I think we need a live free or die country. Um, and he's the coolest governor in the country. And so to be able to do this, it's great. And now this partnership, I mean, you can feel the Granite State, the energy that we got with hundreds of people and continuing to see as we move through diners and all this, people get it and they feel it and they know the responsibility that they have. And I think we're going to see magic here in the Granite State. Governor DeSantis did a town hall with CNN in Iowa last night, and he was asked about this endorsement. And he said, even a campaigner as good as Chris is not going to be able to paper over Nikki being an establishment candidate. What do you say to that? You can say something, but it doesn't make it true. I was a Tea Party candidate when I became governor. I was a strong conservative governor that brought an 11% unemployment down to 3% unemployment, that we went and we moved thousands of people from welfare to work. We reformed education. We did tort reform. We did voter ID. And then you saw me go to the UN and I took the kick me sign off of our backs and America was respected again. Everything I've ever done has been strong. It's been economic freedom. It's been individual freedom. It's been making sure that I've made people proud along the way. So he can say establishment or whatever. I don't think labels matter. I think at the end of the day, this is we're fighting to save America. I truly believe that. And we're going to continue to do it. And Chris's endorsement has just really given us a big kick at a time that the momentum was building. And this is going to continue to take us where we need to go. You wrote an op-ed along with this endorsement. And you said, in part of it, you said that uh, New Hampshire likes to be independent, obviously. And that includes being independent from what Iowa does. And you said polls indicate that Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses. First, do you think that's true? It might be true. I don't know. What I can tell you is we're fighting just as much for Iowans as we are for the people here in the Granite State. And we think that that's really important. We just spent the week there last week and the energy was good and the strength is high. They're paying attention now and things are starting to move. So we're going to do everything we can. Does he have a stronghold in Iowa? Of course he does. Do people support Trump? They do. But it's not about whether you support President Trump. I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies, but chaos follows him. Rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And now is a time where we have a country in disarray and a world on fire. We can't afford four more years of chaos and survive it. We just won't. And I think the people in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina are going to see that. It's a different question to say, do you support President Trump? and appreciate what he did, as opposed to what direction do you want the country to go? That's very different. I want to come back to that in, in a second. But I first want to ask you, Governor, about uh, what you intend to do, because Ambassador Haley mm -hmm. is behind the former president here pretty significantly. How do you 
plan to use your endorsement, to use your support to close that gap? Do you have a, a ground game? Do you have an organization that you tend to There's intend be to employ? 40, we have about 40 days to go, and it's going to be a 40-day ground game. That's exactly what it's going to be. And engaging with voters. And, you know, like the ambassador talked about, I've, I've talked with folks. There was a gentleman I talked to at, at a manufacturing facility. And he said, look, I supported, just like me and Nikki, we supported the president in 2016. We supported him in 2020. But he, his thing was inflation. He said, inflation is killing my family. I can barely get to work. You know, something has to be done. And he said, I would, I would support the former president, but he's going to be so distracted. I need someone that can give 120% of their time to the inflation crisis or 120% of the time to the Israeli or the Ukrainian crisis or the international issues that are bearing down on us. 120% of the time to the border. He's not going to have it. He's going to have constant distraction. So it's not about whether you support him. It's about we need a president that gets results. And when you have somebody as a former governor with the success she brought, I mean, let's face it, South Carolina was, was in tough shape in 2010 when she came on board. Turn that around, made that the envy of, of, of the southern part of the country. And then you had the international experience. It's results driven. And I think in New Hampshire, people appreciate we might have supported the former president before. We appreciate what he's going through might be political, but we need results. We're so tired of Washington doing nothing and, and blaming other free people. So this is the opportunity we have to not just galvanize the Republican Party, but get the entire country excited about the prospects of the future. Well, on that note, just one kind of process follow to that, because last night when you were together, Governor, you said that this is a race between two people, but it's mm -hmm. not a race between two people. It will Do be you, soon enough. Yeah, it's well, between it's between Nikki well, Haley and Donald Trump at this point. So are you saying that DeSantis yeah. and in particular, Chris Christie, who's playing hard here, should drop out? No, look, they have, they'll make that decision for themselves, of course. They're good governors. They're good candidates, right? But here in New Hampshire, this is really coming down to Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And this is where the rest of the country is going to go, oh, wait, it's not a fait accompli. Media and everyone has kind of assumed that this was just Donald Trump's race. We'll see him at the convention. That doesn't have to be the case. And the more folks get engaged, we're going to have a record number of people voting in the state, from hardcore conservative Republicans to the undeclared, even some conservative Democrats. Everyone's going to vote. And if everyone that wants to vote and can vote gets out and votes, Nikki doesn't just win. She wins in a landslide, right? The former president, as a former president, he can't even hold 50% of his base. That's actually not a good number when you think of that. Most former presidents would have 80% right now. But he's still so, really far ahead. He is. And you know what? Hillary Clinton was really far ahead of Barack Obama at one point. I mean, we, we've always seen these stories in the last six to eight weeks. So you just don't believe it? No, you have to earn it. Ambassador Haley, you were asked this week, you mentioned Donald Trump, so I'll just follow up with that. If Donald Trump is fit to be president, and you responded, it's not about fitness. I think he's fit to be president. It's should he be president? I don't think he should be president. I just want to clarify, you do think that Donald Trump at this stage, given everything that's happened, is fit to be president again, if that happens? I think he's fit to be president. I mean, I think that he, you know, has the mental capacity, the, the physical capacity to do it. Do I like the idea of two 80-year-olds running for office for our country? No. I think there needs to be a new generational leader. I think the country wants to see a new generational leader. But that's not what this is about. I think when you're looking at the fact that it is people feel what's happening in the economy. They feel it at the grocery store. They feel it at the gas station. They feel it in their insurance prices and their mortgage prices. They're really squeezed and they're worried about the debt. They feel the fact that they're worried only 31% of eighth graders in our country are proficient in reading. There's a lot of parents yeah. worried about that. We've got a border that's out of control and we're acting like it's September 10th and we better remember what September 12th felt like. 
and you've got a world on fire. People are nervous. And what they don't want is chaos. Mm -hmm. What they do want is someone who's going to calm it down and get things done and have government work for the people. Again. So when you say, it's interesting, because so when you say fit to be president, that he is, you're talking about his age and his mental capacity. I think other people, particularly people here in New Hampshire who are looking for somebody other than Donald Trump, don't think he's fit because of his approach, because of his personality, because of his policies. Do you think in those areas he's fit to be president? I don't look at the personal side of things as much as I look what at, about the, the at the policy, like side. democracy. The reason that I'm running is because after I saw the fall of Afghanistan, after I saw inflation going through the roof, after I saw us lose the midterms so terribly, that's when I said we have to run. When I look at the situation, the economy under Trump, was it good? Yes, but he put us at $8 trillion in debt to do it, and we're all paying the price for that. I look at the fact that I don't want a president who's going to praise dictators by saying Kim Jong-un is his friend or praising the, you know, celebrating the 70th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party or sitting there saying Hezbollah is smart and hitting Netanyahu when his country's on its knees. That's so in those areas, he's not fit to be president. Those things, I just think we need a new direction. We don't need, with me, I have a different approach. No drama, no vendettas, no whining. It's about work for me. It's about results for the American people. They deserve it, and we're going to work hard to earn it. Governor, when I spoke to you in June and you announced that you were not going to run for president, you told me that you would be vocal with people afraid to take on the former president, Donald mm -hmm. Trump. Do you think Ambassador Haley is doing enough to take on Donald Trump? Oh, sure. Well, look, let's face if you're running against the former president, you're making it pretty clear that you, you that you not just you have the, the chops to be president, but we're not going to support him, as most of the Republican Party is not going to support the former president right now. So, yeah, I, and, and what I love about Nikki is she she doesn't focus on platitudes. She doesn't focus on just sound bites. She really gets into details to talk about what she's about, what she's going to bring to the table in the future, not litigating the past, not whining about all the other stuff that we hear uh, from the former president, she's talking about what she's bringing and her, her experience. That's what people want to know because at the end of the day, individuals want to know there's accountability in government, which doesn't seem to be a whole lot of it in Washington right now. And that's exciting, especially at the top of the tier, someone kind of showing that leadership, leading by example with accountability, saying the buck stops here. Let me just say this. You know, anti-Trumpers don't think I hate Trump enough. Yeah, that's Pro -Trumpers true. Pro-Trumpers don't think I love Trump enough. <laughs> What you see is what you get. I just call it like I see it. And wouldn't it be nice if you weren't gauged on whether you love or hate somebody and instead where you think the country should go? So the media loves to sit there and say, but you're not hating him enough or you're not loving him enough. Look, at the end of the day, I look at it policy by policy. Yeah, I don't look at the personal side. I don't look at the political side. I had more of my interview, including what Ambassador Nikki Haley thinks of a controversial Texas abortion ruling this week. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. 
All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside Politics. We are here in New Hampshire where I spoke with Governor Chris Sununu and his choice for president, former Ambassador Nikki Haley. Here's more of the interview where we discussed one of the trickiest issues for Republicans, abortion. Let's talk about a couple. Let's talk about a couple of policy issues. Uh, you call yourself pro-choice on abortion. Mm-hmm. You call yourself pro-life. Mm-hmm. Was that an issue that gave you pause at all? Your difference on that before endorsing? No, I have to tell you. I think when it comes to the abortion issue, no one has answered the question uh, as well as Nikki Haley. I mean, unquestionably. In fact, it's one of the number one positives I hear from both pro-choice and pro-life people, that she's exactly where it needs to be. She's pro-life, she, as, and that's great, but at the end of the day, this is going to be a state's issue, as the court has said. That's the way it's, gonna, it's going to play out. So um, the idea that you're going to try to claim well, that Washington's going to fix this and Washington's going to fix that on the abortion issue, I think that Governor Haley understands this is a state's issue now, and states are going to have to, and the voters are going to have more say mm-hmm. in that process, as they should. I want to talk to you a little bit about what is happening in Texas. Mm-hmm. With a 31-year-old, her name is Kate Cox. She's a mother of two. She was she's pregnant. She's told uh, that her uh, fetus has a fatal issue, a, a congenital congenital issue, and if she carried the uh, baby to term, the baby would likely die, and she might not be able to have children in the future, um, and she would it would be a potential health risk. You say that. Politicians need to humanize this issue more. If you were governor of the state of Texas or if this was happening on your watch, how would you make it more human to let Kate Cox deal with this? Because she had to leave the state. I don't know the exact details of the Texas law, but what I do know is, one, my heart breaks for her. As someone who struggled to have children, my heart absolutely breaks for her. But this is what I'm talking about. When I say we need to have compassion, this is exactly what I'm talking about. When you look at someone's experience, we should never want to see someone with a rare condition who has to deliver a baby any more than we should want to see a mom have an abortion at 37, 38, Mm -hmm. 39 weeks. So how do you turn that compassion you talk about, humanizing, into policy? Because, like, it just... For example, if you have states' rights, which I understand you both believe in on this issue, um, what do you say to a woman in a state like that who she was able to leave, who doesn't have the means to leave? I think what you're going to see happen in Texas is what you're going to see in some other states that went on the pro-life side is they're going to go and look at, okay, when you have the exceptions of rape, incest, 
life of the mother medical Mm -hmm. conditions like Texas had the medical side of it is they're going to get more detailed on it they're going to go and say okay how can we make sure and should they they should they should look at when the situation between the doctor and the woman sees something that's dangerous that might prevent her from having more babies or might be damaging to her body or something I think you're going to see the medical board make a decision on where is that line I think you're going to see that play out. Look, when you do something in a state, it's never perfect right off the bat. You learn how to tweak it. And I think all of these states need to tweak it in a way that our number one goal is how do you save as many babies as possible and support as many moms as possible? I want to ask a foreign policy question. You saw yesterday uh, the most contentious back and forth between Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, President Biden over the question of who governs Gaza when this war is over. The president wants it to be the Palestinian Authority. Bibi Netanyahu says, no, we don't want that. If you were president right now, how would you solve that? Well, first of all, the Palestinian Authority has done a terrible job at leading. We've seen that. And you look at Gaza and, you know, the people that live in Gaza have had to live under the oppression of Hamas which is, you know, a terrorist organization that has ruined that area. Israel doesn't want Gaza. Mm -hmm. That's not the issue. But Israel doesn't want terrorists on their doorstep either. We need to support Israel being comfortable with who's going to be their neighbors. And you need to make sure that the people of Gaza, the best way to help the people of Gaza is to eliminate Hamas. So if not the PA, obviously not Hamas, then who? How do you do that? I mean, we're going to have to figure this out, right? But I don't think America has to figure this out. I think Israel needs to decide what they want their neighbors to look like. And it's not just Israel. Look at the Arab countries. There's a reason Egypt doesn't want to take any of the people from Gaza, because they don't know which ones are terrorists and which ones aren't. Where are all the pro-Hamas countries? Where is Qatar? Where is Iran? Where are Turkey? Why aren't they taking the people of Gaza? Because they all know the threats of Iran and the threats of their proxies. But every country deserves to know that they can have a secure border and not have terrorists living on there. So it's going to take Israel a while to figure out how they're going to get the Palestinians to find good leadership. But the Palestinian Authority has not been good to the people at all, and they haven't proven worthy. I know that you decided to endorse Ambassador Haley because you think she's the best person for the job. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she is a woman, was that a factor? No, not the fact that she's a woman, but I, maybe the fact that she's she's a mom. She she gets the connection better than most. I mean, folks. the fact that she maybe would the be the first that, female president was that yeah, a factor? No, not. I mean, that's look. That's a, a nice a nice uh, line, I suppose. But at the end of the day, it's her connection that I'm watching. It's and it's the feedback I'm getting about that connection. That I mean, she she uses the word humanism, right? She really connects with folks on what their what their background is, not just what's your policy. Do you agree with my policy? Where that, like I said, that's peripheral stuff. She wants to know what, what's going on in your family. What are the barriers? Where has the system broken down? And people, you know, that's a connection. And she looks in the eye. She takes that time to listen. And as I've said, she took the time and has earned the trust of the voters here. And that's exactly how I do it. That's kind of the brand that I, I try to support here. It, all the solutions don't happen in the corner office or just in the White House. The opportunity for those solutions happen by spending time with people. So I don't know, maybe the fact that she's a wife and a mom and she's connected and she's, you know, has this amazing background just allows that connection to be a little more um, solid than maybe with some of the other candidates. But it's there and it's real and it's palpable, which is why her numbers, even before my endorsement, her numbers are skyrocketing here. You know he's going to be out of a job in a year, right? I do. 
I mean, you guys are both Gen Xers. You seem to have good chemistry. You don't want him to. Uh, oh, I don't want a job. Thank you, though. You, you didn't even let me finish I, my I'm sentence. Not you even knew. To get there. No, of no, no, no. I want. Look, I want to be. Would you want if he wanted to do it? Would you consider him as a I running mate? I think he mate? could be great at anything. He's proven that. Honestly, he is. You know, he's been great for the state of New Hampshire. I mean, they're better off. He didn't do it by raising taxes. He didn't do it by taking away any of their freedoms. He didn't do it by having government mandates come down. He did it by just allowing economic freedom to grow and listening to the people. And look, and he, he likes Motley Crue. And he likes <laughs> Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses yeah. at that. So, I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, do I want a younger generation? leading in Washington? Absolutely. Because the next eight years are going to be tough. We need energy. We need people who are at the top of their game. We need people who are results driven. And we need fighters more than anything. We need fighters for the American people, not fighters for government. That's the difference. So yes, if he wanted to be involved in service, I would love to have him in some capacity. Look, I just got to say, it's a full package of a candidate with the background, with the connectivity, the, I think the ideals and the principles that Republicans and a lot of the independents even in the state really want to see. And that momentum, that opportunity to kind of show a big win here and really set the it really would press the reset button on the entire election uh, when Nikki, Nikki wins here. Um, and then all bets are off. Then it's a one-on-one -on -one race. Trump's on his heels. Then uh, here comes Super Tuesday. And next thing you know, political momentum's a real thing. I mean, we've both experienced mm -hmm. it. You were told you couldn't win. No one, no one knew multiple you. No one times. Were, multiple times. She's always been told she can't win. She's always been told it's an impossible feat. Forget it. That's why this is such a perfect, not just a story, but a perfect venue for Nikki to really make, make her drive to the White House. If he started singing Joan Jett, then you would be, you would be, you would have so to. I'm, I'm like, I'm you would have to take it. Did I tell you? So I'm walking out <laughs> last night and I'm coming out to um, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. And just as I'm about to go out on stage to introduce Nikki and give her my endorsement, I hear, oh yeah, they were playing this right, they opened right before Motley Crue at my first concert. And I went, I knew I made the right decision <laughs> right there. I knew I had made the right decision. Thank you, Ambassador so Governor. Much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to get back to CNN's Jeff Zeleny, who is in Newport, New Hampshire. Uh, Jeff, uh, Nikki Haley and Chris Nunu have left here. They're headed towards you to campaign there this afternoon. What's your takeaway from uh, what they were talking about with me here? Well, Dana, as you uh, sat in front of them, I think the biggest takeaway initially is optics. As you well know, uh, Governor Sununu, 49 years old, Nikki Haley, 51 years old, they do represent a new generation. And that is the argument that they are making to voters of all ages. And it really is striking when you talk to voters of all ages. Uh, some of the oldest voters we talk to also are looking for uh, a new generation to turn the page. So that, of course, is the central argument here. But so many uh, things to break down in there, from abortion politics to foreign policy. But I think when Nikki Haley told you, Dana, that uh, she's never going to be anti-Trump enough for those who don't like the former president. She'll never be pro-Trump enough uh, for those who do. That is really uh, the centerpiece of all of this and the centerpiece of their challenge. Yes, he's very popular, but he has been really railing against the former president for uh, years. So their challenge is to pry away mm -hmm. some Trump voters as well as winning over some independent and moderate voters. But as you see people taking their uh, seats here, there is a new level of interest in her. He will accelerate that. The question now is, can they overcome the true giant in this race? And that remains Donald Trump. Dana?
And Jeff, you and I are both Gen Xers as well. So the Motley Crue Guns N' Roses reference, we also got that. Everybody else, hopefully you got it too. <laughs> Thank you, you so sure much, did. Jeff. Appreciate it. <laughs> and tonight, Republican presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy joins our Abby Phillip for a CNN presidential town hall live from Iowa at 9 Eastern right here on CNN. Coming up back in Washington, House Republicans are set to take a big step forward in their Biden impeachment probe. There is still no proof of any wrongdoing by President Biden. The question is whether it will backfire on Republicans politically. Hunter Biden is defying House Republicans, refusing to sit down for a closed door deposition today. Instead, he wants to testify publicly, excuse me, publicly and offer the House GOP. They are not taking that. They're refusing that. And in fact, this morning outside the Capitol, Hunter Biden was there and said this entire investigation is about trying to embarrass and damage his father. I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. In the depths of my addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that is grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. It's shameless. There is no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. House Republicans disagree and are now initiating contempt proceedings against the president's son, saying everyone must comply with a congressional subpoena. This is an investigation about public corruption at the highest levels. We have accumulated mountains of evidence that's concerning to an overwhelming majority of Americans. Look, when Congress asks you to come, you're supposed to come and, uh, and come and testify. We should point out that Congressman Jim Jordan himself defied a subpoena from the January 6th committee. Let's bring in our political panel, Estead Herndon of The New York Times and Leanne Caldwell of The Washington Post. Uh, Leanne, I'll start with you. That's kind of rich coming from Jim Jordan, uh, who, again, did not uh, comply with a subpoena from his own colleagues about the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. What is your sense of how far this is going to go uh, once it starts? It's kind of hard to stop an impeachment inquiry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not only did Jim Jordan defy a subpoena, the entire the Trump administration set a new precedent during his years in complying with Congress. They refused to repeatedly over and over again, and it mostly went to the court system. But yes, it is extremely hard if an impeachment inquiry is opened. Uh, for them not to impeach because you know what's going to happen then Dana is that then there will be headlines if they don't move to impeachment saying Biden exonerated and that is probably not something that Republicans want in the middle of a uh, presidential election. Uh, but I will say that this is politically tricky for some Republicans and that's why it took them several months to actually hold this formal vote on the House floor. There's a lot of vulnerable Republicans who didn't want to do it. Now sources tell me that mm -hmm. as long as these Republicans focus on gathering more information, that this is just an inquiry, they just need to find the truth, then it becomes more politically manageable, Dana.
And instead, I want you to listen to something else that Jim Jordan said. Uh, this is about what Hunter Biden uh, said today and uh, the congressman from Ohio parsing those words. Let's listen. I think he made an interesting statement. He said his father was not financially involved in the business. And I think that qualifier, the word financially, is, is important because once again, it shows another change, another change in this story. First, it was no involvement. Then, no, I never, never talked to anyone. And then we find out about the dinners, the meetings, the phone calls, and everything else. Now it's, oh, he wasn't involved in the business financially. What do you make of that, Estad? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the argument that Republicans have been trying to put together for the better part of the last couple of years. The idea that Hunter was trading on his father's influence and also that there could be a specter of involvement from the president. I think it's important to say that they have not produced any real evidence on this front. And this impeachment inquiry is another attempt for them to try to to try to use the levers of government to gather that evidence rather than what we typically see, which is the opposite. And that evidence actually informing uh, how the lawmakers act. And so, you know, I think what we hear from Jim Jordan here as a continuance of kind of banging that drum. But the evidence kind of politically is that this has only really been a motivating factor for the Republican base. You know, Republicans have tried to make this kind of a flattened corruption argument between Democrats and Republicans or make Biden the same as Trump. And voters haven't really bought that. What is true, though, is that there is a Republican majority among their own electorate that is driving the new speaker and is really pushing them to get aligned uh, on this inquiry vote. And Leanne, I see you on Capitol Hill. It looks uh, to me like you're uh, in a place where you're just steps from uh, the House floor. What do we expect with this vote coming up? Uh, We expect this vote to pass. Of course, Republicans only have a three-vote margin today on, uh, on if this is going to pass or not. And all Republicans are expected to vote for it, except perhaps maybe Representative Ken Buck of Colorado. He's been really concerned about it, but he's now saying that he now has some concerns with Hunter not showing and the administration not complying on on a couple of the requests that Republicans had made. So it is going to be an overwhelming vote by the Republicans. And uh, Jim Jordan has indicated that he's going to hold Hunter Biden in contempt because he did not show up for that closed door deposition today. Um, but one last thing is that some Republicans are warning that that this really could backfire politically. Uh, they note that during the first mm-hmm. impeachment of Donald Trump, uh, in the middle of that, Donald Trump saw his highest approval ratings of his presidency because the public did not like that he was getting impeached. They didn't want an impeachment. They didn't want the chaos. And so uh, that's something that Republicans are concerned about. But they are acting very aggressively right now, Dana. Yeah, it's all about the base, as always, in the House of Representatives these days. Ested and Leanne, thank you so much for that. Appreciate your reporting, both of you. And ahead, a CNN exclusive new information about Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Details about a pivotal Oval Office meeting just days before January 6th. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, 
Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Family members of American hostages who are still being held by Hamas in Gaza were meeting with President Biden at the White House, and they just walked out to speak to cameras. Let's listen. Thank you. My name is Jonathan Dekelchen. I'm the father of Sagi Dekelchen, a 35-year-old father um, who was abducted from Kibbutz Niroz on October 7th. Uh, we met today with President Biden and, and, and uh, other people from the administration. It was a terrific, terrific meeting and conversation. I think we all came away feeling that as uh, families of hostages, uh, of American-Israeli hostages, which are eight out of a total of 138 hostages, we felt that, and we felt before, and we were only reinforced in seeing and believing that we could have no better friend uh, in Washington or in the White House than President Biden himself and his administration. Pope Francis today called for an immediate release of all the hostages. Do you believe the Vatican can help bring your loved ones home? I'll, I'll add, um, I'm Liz Hershnoftali, I'm Abigail Edon Moore's great aunt, and we are blessed because she is back with her family after she was a hostage for 50 days and witnessed both of her parents being murdered uh, on October 7th. And what I can tell you is that Abigail is a miracle. She is a light in this very dark time. And metaphorically, a lot of our families that are here today, and we are all one big family looking to get all of these people's sons and fathers and mothers out, that we are here because the president and his team have been bringing out light in this dark time. And Abigail, who is a four-year-old, is a symbol of that light. And as we come to the Christmas holiday, I hope that the Pope continues to speak and others around the world not only pray, but pray for us, pray for our families, pray for our leaders, pray for the president, and that the Pope and all that he can do is to push. We love a Christmas miracle. We would love all of our loved ones to come back and be with us for Christmas. So when you talk about the Pope, our hope is that he and others like himself will influence the, these people in the Middle East that are all actors in this part of getting these hostages out. And that is all of our hope for a Christmas miracle. Can you talk about what kind of communication you guys have been getting, uh, and getting updates on a daily basis, what kind of the communication you've been getting from the White House, and, and thank you, of course, for talking with us. Yeah, uh, well, I can say this. Um, since a day or two after the massacre uh, on October 7th and the mass hostage taking by Hamas, we all began to be contacted by representatives of the United States government, uh, the embassy, in Israel, State Department, Secretary Blinken, and within just a few short days, President Biden was on a video call with us. And since that time, we've been in frequent and, and very transparent uh, contact with administration officials. And we've also really benefited, I think, and most importantly, our sons, daughters, fathers, sisters, brothers, mothers have also really seen how in a very divided time, uh, members of Congress, members of the Senate, from wall to wall, have shown solidarity with us. For those of you still waiting word on 
your loved ones and their release. Was the president able to share anything about their condition, about where they are? Yeah, uh, we're going to keep the, the content of the conversation private. Um, it was a private meeting between uh, representatives of the eight families still and uh, a ninth family or two other families whose, whose loved ones have been released already. Uh, yes. But um, we are going to keep the private conversations was private. Obviously, obviously, the world, obviously the world witnessed the great miracle, as you indicated, when some of the hostages were freed as a function of the temporary ceasefire. What specifically are you requesting of the U.S.? And we have been listening to family members of hostages who are still inside Gaza, 68 days now after October 7th. These are American citizens being held. This is, that is Jonathan Dekohen, it is the Hen family, the Nutra family, the Alexander family, after meeting with President Biden, saying that he is uh, trying to be helpful, but obviously there have been no hostages released for several weeks now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us today live from New Hampshire on Inside Politics. Be sure to tune in tonight for a CNN town hall with Vivek Ramaswamy. Our Abby Phillip is going to be moderating that live from Iowa at 9 Eastern right here on CNN. CNN News Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.